Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. What's up, everybody? You're once again tuned in to the show on the road. I'm Zach Lupiton, and uh, we're going to be diving into the second part of my conversation with Zach Goody, the new lead singer and frontman of the band Smash Mouth. Now, you may think you know all about this band from the 90s that had crazy hits like All Star and Walking on the Sun, but on this part of the talk, we actually dive into Zach's life as a rock and roll lifer. And man, he has been on quite the ride. Zach has endured decades of playing in bands to half-empty rooms. Man, he is enjoying a little bit of that spotlight these days. Honestly, I've played, I've been playing with Smash Mouth for a year now, and we, and it sounds cocky or not, but it, we haven't had a bad show yet. Knock on wood. In terms of like, we're in, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere in like, you know, Virginia or Kentucky or something, and it's like the so and so, you know, the Clam Diggers Fair or some random event, and it's just like. 10,000 people are all there dressed up with Shrek costumes and throwing videotapes on stage to sign and like just it's awesome it, it's been so that's like I think the most the best one though is a couple weeks ago we played in um, Monterey, Mexico um, on this festival and it was we were the surprise guests so we couldn't tell anybody but we were, we were allowed to like hint about it so we, we had to like go there like hide backstage like I wanted to we, we arrived a day early I wanted to go to the, to the show and see 21 Pilots and she, the promoter was like you can't go you're too well known I'm like no one knows who I am I'm the new guy but it's that so we couldn't go to the, the show we had to hide backstage and then the band plays before us and it's literally a sta- 75,000 people I mean it's literally 70 it's crazy and we go out there and it's all dark and they just, they just do a countdown they're like 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 and it goes Ksh! and the big jumbotron says smash mouth and we come on stage and, and do two songs only I'm a believer in all star and the crowd just goes ballistic you know so who knew that smash mouth would be so big in Mexico yeah Mexico. we did Peru too we did Lima Peru and, did you yeah. sing smash mouth hits in Spanish at all on those tours. <laughs> no, but, but I did, all my ba- all my banter was in Espanol and uh, living in San Diego for 20 years really helped me out. Now I understand that the music of Smash Mouth may not be for everybody, but when I was about 12 or 13, I had a cassette of Astro Lounge and I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. Now maybe... This music won't be around in 20 or 30 years. But you know what? 
when Zach is out there on those stages from Peru to Mexico to all around the United States, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people are singing every word to these songs. Something about this music is lasting. And after this conversation, I had this revelation that as a songwriter, I just want my music to be there when I'm gone. So let's get vulnerable. Here we go. The most nervous I think I've been at a show was when we we did our live record, most of it is live, at the Troubadour. Oh, wow. In 2015, I want to say. It was the first time we booked the Troubadour, so it was an exciting moment for us. It was sold out. And, you know, I had friends and family there, and I just botched the first few songs. Oh, really? Like, and thankfully we did the recording twice. We also recorded in San Francisco. So you can fly some stuff And over I didn't to. realize that you could sweeten vocals and stuff right. later on. But like, I just found, I was like clenching my guitar, like white knuckle style. Like, yeah, recording Like, live, you know these songs. Recording live yeah. is, is definitely more of a, ch- I mean, but look at some of the, like, maybe my, fa- my, my, one of my favorite live albums ever, The Song Remains the Same. I mean, look at the, look, read the website about that one. I mean, literally they, they, plugged in so much stuff that they replaced like it's not even a live album I never knew that as a kid like that's I used to watch that movie over and over they, they literally had to build an entire set to match Madison Square Garden back in England like a year later have uh, John Paul Jones wear a wig to match it and like recreate all this stuff so half the movie is, is staged and like all these punch-ins and like overdubs is crazy the, the raw live footage is not what you hear on the album so even the best do it you know <laughs> yeah I think uh a great live record is, is almost a lost art because you have to account for the audience energy and sound too. Well, you got to remember to mic the you audience. That's, that's right. That's actually, I think, one of the things that I was not happy about of our record. And you can hear the audience, but it was almost so well recorded yeah. that some of the energy of the audience is not there enough, mm. you know? And well, sometimes you hear a, sometimes you hear a live song that you don't know is live, like someone like. Um, yeah someone like Paul Simon or like Simon and Garfunkel and like you hear a song and that, which is also one of my favorite the concert in Central Park is yeah. I love that album that movie but like they'll play a song or it'll be on Spotify or the radio and then at the end people start clapping like that was live yeah. it's like all this intricate finger picking or harmonies and you're like wow that's impressive you know A lot of the Almond Brothers stuff that I grew up listening to yeah, with my dad—it's like, example. how can you play that? Yeah, perfect. At you know, live at the Fillmore East, some it's the, like yeah, well, the pristine. Z- the Zappa, the, the Zappa live at the Fillmore '71 is another live album I love, which has the the Turtles on it, you know, Flo and Eddie and that whole thing, and that's an amazing. It's all intricate and, and rehearsed bits and monologues, and it's incredible. Um, the other the other great live album is the No Effects live album. <laughs> they're, they're, I heard they suck live. That their their in between song banter is like the best live album banter I've ever heard. It's so funny. <laughs> we uh, recorded this uh, cover, which you've seen us play live now. Um, this Beatles cover, Oh Darling, which is one of my all time favorite yeah. songs. And we were in Wisconsin recording this single, and we were like let's just see if we can knock out the Beatles thing pretty much live. Yeah. And we thought we could do it like earlier in the evening and then 
one thing led to another, and it was like 1 a.m., and the producer's like, are we still going to try to do this? That's the one you want to do last. And we did, <laughs> and it has a bit of that like unhinged feeling right. to it, which I like. Like, LaShawn is really going for it vocally and kind of like almost... Almost cracking, but not... You know, losing it. <laughs> and after about three takes, she was like, yeah, that's it. That's it for me. <laughs> she well, that away. song, that, that's away. a fun song to sing. How do you guys make a Smash Mouth set list? Is it pretty much the same every night or totally changing uh, all the it's time? It's mostly the same. It was mostly the same last summer, but right now we're working on this summer and we're going to change it up for, the, for this, this tour. Um, we're trying to pl- add, in, add back in a lot, not like three or four of the older songs that people have been asking for, so we're going to mix in a few new ones that we haven't done. We're going to add um, Underground Sun, which is the single that we just recorded that's going to come out soon. Um, we're going to have a different encore. Um, I mean, the way the, the, the short answer is, there's five songs you always have to play. You always end with All Star? Pretty much, yeah. Um, I, I would say yes. Um, and you, ha- you have to play the, the, the five hits. Um, and then the rest you can play around with. And then some of it is because of tuning. So like half their songs are E, half are E flat. So they want to group those together for guitar changes. So it's like, oh, let's play this next. Oh, we can't have that one's an E flat. So let's, uh, that's a little bit of a challenge. The cool thing about it is there's really there's I think five hits, but there's seven there's seven recognizable songs. Like anybody off the street would know seven songs. So when most usually our sets are 21, 22 songs, about 90 minutes. So every third song is a hit. So that's kind of a gift, a blessing to have, you know, <laughs> every third song is a What's banger. always fascinating to me when bands put out records that have multiple hits on it is that they, they just didn't know sure. what was gonna rise to the top. So you have songs like on Astro Lounge, Who's There is yep. the opening track. So that was what? so when I first my very first practice with the band, that was that was gonna be the opening song of the set. So I learned that one. And I'm like and they're like, well, what's the first song on the first album? Yeah. First first album or second album? This is Astro Lounge. So okay, so first song on the second album, and it has like the, the the spaceship intro, blah blah blah. And so I learned the song and I'm like, guys. You're setting me up for failure. This song is like, it's kind of a slower tempo, has a lot of words, and it's hard to sing, and it's not an instantly recognizable smash hit. You know what I mean? But at the time, the band, the the, the label was like, this is the song we lead. A yeah. lead song yeah. is important. It's a cool song, too, but like, so we, cha- we, so we changed it to Can't Get Enough of You, Baby, and that's just more of like a... It's just, it's just Which is actually out. the last track Interesting. of the record. Interesting. And Then the Morning Comes is like... Nine songs in. Wow, that was a number two, number two hit. That's what's so funny is that songs that at the time you're like, yeah, we don't, we don't need that anywhere near the top right. of the record. Like, really, that song is a freaking classic. Yeah, well, I mean, look at some of the Beatles. <laughs> look, look, look at some of the Beatles B sides. You know, I mean, Rain is the you know paperback writer B side, probably the coolest bass line of all time. Like sometimes, like I'm working on a song right now with with Lashawn, our singer. We, we put it up on Instagram, and I'm just like, I've never been more <laughs> certain that I'm like, this song is going to do something. Was it the new one you played at the Jubilee last year? No, this is like a, a very new song. It's like very sad and very intense. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw so your I put post. it on Instagram. Yeah. But it's almost like I'm so invested now that I'm like, it probably won't. <laughs> I mean, what... 
who knows? I mean, a band, a, a band like yours that has such a cool career touring and stuff. Like, is it possible to have a hit anymore with a band like that? I like, mean, I don't, I don't a hit know. for us would be like being on it's on some, it's on PCR some review. cool playlist, so it gets millions of streams. Right? You know, yeah. like the most streamed song of ours by a large margin is this very sad kind of car crash folk mm. ballad that got put on all these folk playlists and sure. coffee house. Yeah, playlists. Yeah. That's the way to do it now. And we haven't played it in years. Right. It's almost like it's too heavy in a set. And and I love heavy songs, dude. That's you got. I, mean, I went to your Troubadour show a couple a couple weeks ago, and you guys did that new that that abortion song. That was like yeah. that was heavy. I know, but that's like <laughs> that, fiery heavy. It was great. That was great. That the was other like, one is just like re- like heart wrenching. You know, sad dad. <laughs> well, but then again. It's like those, that's what I think a lot of people used to love about country music or yeah. the blues. It's like stuff talking about really heavy stuff that I makes that you stuff. feel better in some way, I, you know? I, I mean, that's my main genre that I listen to, you know, Ray LaMontagne and, you know, uh, Dawes and, you know, all that kind of like sad Americana type of vibe is like Ryan Adams and, you know, all that stuff is right up my alley. I'm just, which I, is probably why I, why I like your band. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just having trouble recently. <laughs> constructing set lists for our live shows because I'm like, okay. We need a fast one it's here. A fun, it's a fun show with the horns. Yeah. And yet, a lot of our most listened to songs or songs that are most sort of fun to sing for me and LaShawn are like very slow, dark. Well, I think, you know? I mean, your set list was awesome the way it was paced with the acoustic sort of like, you know, that, that whole thing was great. So people see, people seem to respond to it. So <laughs> do keep doing what you're doing. Um, but like... I just don't know how I think, you know, in a way the Beatles are a model, I think for me, because they have so many different types of songs that feel like they're from different planets. And yet it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like in my life next to paperback writer, like how is that the same band? Yeah, and it is. I mean, just look at the White Album. Just look at the side one of the White Album. I mean, just you know, it runs the Blackbird to you know back in the U.S. Did your parents play music, music growing up, or, or did they uh, just sort of listen a lot at home? Or uh, yeah, they, they they weren't in bands or anything. My mom was kind of like she was into like the whole she was like a flamenco dancer, or not professionally, but that was like her thing before I was born. So she was like into like that kind of music. Um, she wasn't big in the music scene. My my, my dad was super into music. He was like. You know, super into jazz, but he but uh, he he schooled me on all kinds of jazz, um, Billie Holiday and all that stuff. But but um, he had a lot of records, so I you know I, and my, I had an older brother, so that was you know I got like the Beatles albums and Cat Stevens and ELO. That was like my first three that I just like rep- just on repeat when I was a kid. Cat Stevens, ELO, and Beatles. So I had all those records. Still have all the same those records. And then my brother was older, so he turned me on to all the cool stuff. You know, when I was pretty young. I mean, he was into like. Brian Eno and the Bad Brains and Devo and you know, uh, you know, Pear Ubu and Tuxedo Moon and Wire and like all these like post punk bands and stuff. So I got turned on to that stuff pretty early, um, mostly from him because he was four years older and we were in New York City. So he was going, I was a little, little bit too young to go out, but he was going to all these shows, going to Danceteria every night and like seeing the Beastie Boys and Bad Brains and all these New York bands. And uh, you know, then we went to Europe. Uh, when I was 15 and he bought, we, he bought me the first Clash cassette and um, Iggy and the Stooges' Raw Power and um, Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy, Brian Eno. Those were like three albums that were super early influential to me. And then that led to Elvis Costello, which was a still a big, still one of my big all-time 
favorite um, major influence. And then that kind of went in. Then I discovered Devo. That was like a major. Devo was a major part of my childhood. <laughs> I discovered them when I was like 10 and uh, when Beautiful World came out. And I just, just got like so obsessed with them. <laughs> Points to Devo tattoo. Um, it's so on was, his left arm, folks. <laughs> I was super obsessed with Devo for a long time. And I, that was sort of like, they were, they were my kiss. You know, because, like, at the time, it was the early 80s, everyone was super into, like, Def Leppard and Ozzy, and I just wasn't, I didn't get the whole, I thought it was, like, corny, the whole metal thing, just wasn't, like, my my thing, and so I was just super into Devo, and, uh, you know, got beat up and bullied, because back then, it's like, you know, it wasn't cool, and then that sort of led to the new wave and punk stuff, you know, the cars and the clash and the police and all that kind of stuff, and that was really, the, that was really my stuff for, you know, most of the 80s until I discovered Molly Crew. Then, then, then I started growing my hair. Really, '89 was the summer that everything changed. It was like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Fishbone and De La Soul and Public Enemy and all these all these hip hop bands, and that just kind of changed everything for me. And then that led into '91, which was the whole Lollapalooza, Jane's Addiction, Nirvana, the whole you know explosion. So that was my that was my musical education in a in a nutshell. <laughs> and when did you start playing in bands? Oh, I started super young. Like I started, I started doing the the theater thing. Like I said, um, really young. I went to performing arts school. I went to acting camp in upstate New York. Um, I did an off Broadway play when I was nine. Kind of got the theater bug. Did a bunch of musicals in school, and then around fifteen, um, I started singing in a band, um, like a cover band in high school. And so I did that during high school. Um, so I got a lot of good experience. I'm singing three sets a night when I was like 16 years old, you know, doing like Aerosmith and ZZ Top and Zeppelin and Beatles and all kinds of stuff. Um, that was great experience. And then I moved to Hawaii after high school and tried to find a band there, but I couldn't really get a solid band going. I met these group of guys who were all in a band and they all had long hair, so we became friends. But they moved away. They're like, oh, we're moving to Tacoma, Washington to go, you know, be in, be in a band because, you know, we're in Kona, Hawaii. There's, like, nothing happening there. Um, so they moved away. We stayed in touch. They, got a, they had a different singer. Um, and then in nine, summer of 91, <laughs> that's how long ago this was, they called me up and like, hey, our singer's like a total mess, and we kicked him out. Wait, maybe this is a theme in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we, had a show, we had a show booked, and we had to cancel it. Um, so we're going to move to San Diego. And, you know, because our bass players grew up there, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I was I was living in Cape Cod at the time. I, I was like, I'm, I'm it. They sent me a demo, and it was great. It was like metal, reggae, like funk, like you know. And I was super into hip hop at the time. I was like really into like you know Mr. Bungle and you know Red Hots and things like that. And so I wanted to do something like that, you know, this thing called rap rock, which hadn't happened been been invented yet. Um, and so we kind of merged. I moved to San Diego, and we started this band called Ghoul Spoon, and um, that became the thing that I did for the next ten years. And that was really really excellent time to be in music because um, it turns out that the guys in my band had moved away from Seattle to Sandy. They were only there for a year and they're like, well, you know, we don't really fit in. The scene's not really happening. That was like September of 91. <laughs> what albums came out that month? So they, so I, I went to join them in San Diego and I was like, have you guys heard this band Nirvana? And they're like, those were our neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Like we literally had a show booked with them and we had to cancel it because our singer flaked out, you know? So it was crazy. They moved away from Seattle just when the grunge thing happened. Um, but fortunately we moved to San Diego, which was the, just the hub of just all this new music. So our whole scene was like, you know, Blink and Unwritten Law and P.O.D. and Korn and Deftones and Sublime and, um, No Doubt and Green Day. And so all, you know, these guys are all friends of ours and, you know, 
we played all these shows, all these bands, like all throughout the early and mid '90s. Um, so it was an amazing time to be in a band. Um, I mean, I have all kinds of great memories and, and flyers of like, you know, our band headlining and then like Incubus and Blink opening. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. And uh, we were sort of the one band that never made it. You know, like everyone, everyone else got super rich and famous and we were the one band that never quite what made it. What happened to Ghoul Spoon? Yeah. It's actually the 25th, no, 30th anniversary of our first album this year, so we might we might do a reunion show if we can get our act together, but I'm just too busy, <laughs> and everyone else is in San Diego, so we'll see if that happens. Yeah, it is interesting how bands can either last or fade out and maybe reform, and, and they're like these little organisms, you oh, know? it's crazy. I feel like if you could last, if you could live long enough to see, if you can wait for 17 years. Yeah. It all comes around again, right? All right. <laughs> we got a couple more years. And some of these bands are, you know, some of our friends' bands, like, they're still, I mean, P.O.D., Unwritten Law, Buck 09, Sprung Monkey. These, these bands are, like, legendary San Diego bands, and they're still there 30 years later, still touring. I mean, I, I just went and saw Unwritten Law at the Roxy a couple, like, last month, and they did a huge Australian tour. They're amazing. They have a new album out. It's like, these bands are still going strong 30 years later. Corn, I mean, Corn and Deftones used to open for us, and we were like, these guys are going to be huge and 30, they're playing stadiums 30 years later. They're going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, it's insane. Um, if, you, if you stick around long enough, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get your due. Look at these, look at Circle Jerks doing a victory lap now, you know? I'm hoping that our group Dust Bowl can stay the course without people getting sort of, I think there's a bit of that taken for granted feeling right now where we're just like, yeah, they'll, we'll see them again when they yeah. come through. You know, they play here once or twice a year. It's like it's only if we disappeared for like five years and then came back, everyone yeah. would be like, "Oh, cool," but yeah, like yeah, it's a but it's like also your job, right. so you can't like just you know stop doing it. And we love doing it. You yeah, know? it's it's a it's a rough balance to have. I mean, it's I'm I'm in a completely different touring situation than you because we just play these huge like yeah. festivals or state fairs and like they're all you know we fly there, so we're not like yeah. you know we fly there, we play one or two or three shows, and then fly home. And it's 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 a total grind because it's not any. I don't think it's any easier necessarily than to, you know, being on a tour bus or in a tour van, because you're constantly on an airplane, constantly in the airport, in a hotel, missing home, missing your kids, whatever. Um, but it's a different world than I'm I've ever toured or been, you know been used to. It's like you get we would love you, that you get treated very well when you're when you're, yeah. you know. It's like everything on your rider is there plus more. Um, which what is, is the nice. weirdest thing on the Smash Mouth rider? I don't think there's anything. What did you weird. request? Well, the, well, we there was a couple things that I think Steve had from the old rider, um, which was like a loaf of like a baguette, a jar of peanut butter, and a block of cheddar cheese. <laughs> and, then, and like when we started like last summer before the first shows, we, they sent it around to the band like, hey, anything you guys want to take off or add, whatever to the rider. And um, uh, one of the guys is like, yeah, we could probably take off the baguette and the, <laughs> the entire jar of peanut butter. Like we're only there for two hours. Like how much peanut butter could we eat? Um, <laughs> so um, all I added was uh, Ricola cough drops <laughs> just to have. Um, yeah, we played this uh, <laughs> little town in Wisconsin called uh, Viroqua. Viroqua. It has this cool theater. And 
one of my oldest friends from kindergarten who I've kept up with is a chef in this town. And she's been trying to get us to come play this theater for years. And I was like, hey, looks like we're actually doing it. Was that the night you lost your voice when you were talking No, about? this is this is in Wisconsin uh, probably eight months ago. And she has this really cool Mediterranean-inspired farm-to-table restaurant down the street. Uh-huh. And she's like, I'm going to make a little something for you guys when you show up. Something out of like an Iranian wedding or something. Like, like yeah, it was like a, a Persian uh, <laughs> funeral feast or something. You know, wow. you're like, how can there be this many types of dip? It's like 20 minutes before showtime, so you can't eat any of it. We were like, we just like stood in like stunned silence, like looking at it for five minutes. Wow. There's like nine different types of olives. <laughs> yeah, those 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 times are nice. Like we've had a couple definitely like high profile VIP type of situations. Like we played for um, we played for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Or was it the Orioles? Yeah, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Lightning, and we got to like you know watch the game, and we got to ring the or, or light the Tesla coil. I guess if you're a hockey okay. fan, that's a thing. Like they have a huge Tesla coil in the Tampa Bay Arena, yeah. and before the game, like Tampa Bay, Bay and then the switch goes on, and it's like Dzz. so we got to like be on ESPN and do that, and then like watch the game from like the the, the mm-hmm. owner's box or whatever. And the layout was just like stupid, you know. It's just like everything. Do you want sushi or do you want pizza? You know, and then. Um, same thing. We played Camden Yards last summer. We played um, after the Orioles game, and it was it was like their whatever anniversary. So all the players were there, and like all the Hall of Fame players or whatever. And uh, it was like forty thousand people. You know, it was like the concert directly after their thing. They built a stage. It's like the Super Bowl halftime. They yeah. wheel the stage out right after. Yeah. You play your half hour set, and it was like us, Spinderella from Salt and Pepper, and um, Drew Hill. Uh, is that his name? Yeah, uh, Pony. Uh, My Pony. Yeah. yeah. What's that? What's the singer's name? Cisco. Yeah. Cisco and Drew Hill. It's like random, random 90s lineup. <laughs> but those are the surreal situations we, we find ourselves in. Well, the, the 90s are now like beloved music that like a lot of people grew up with. All these people are, you know, able to spend real yeah. money in the yeah. marketplace. Um, and I think like it's funny that nostalgia, I guess, has always been big money, but mm-hmm. K Earth 101 is playing. Green Day as like classic rock. Yeah, it's incredible. It's it's, it's dad music, yeah, it's and bizarre. it was punk rock rebel music when we were young. Yeah, the Clash yeah. is on is on you know the Clash is on classic rock stations now. It's it's a trip. I mean, then and and now there's not just '90s. Now there's '2000s nostalgia for like the boy band era. Like yep. that, that wasn't cool for a while, and now it's like they're as big as ever. They're back. Back streets, back. All right. What is a Smash Mouth song that you feel like should get more attention and love? There's a couple. I mean, I think like like um, I mean, we play we play. I think we play the the favorites. I mean, there's um, "Dig in Your Scene" is a great one. I think that I don't know if that was a hit, but that's like a kind of a centerpiece of our show, and we we kind of incorporate the drum solo into that part of the song, so it's kind of like the centerpiece of our set. I think like the main fan favorite that we've done a couple times, but it's is pretty challenging to play live, but it's awesome song is called Padrino. That's off of the first album. And it's it's like it's like their it's like their Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like a punk okay. it's like four long verses, tempo changes, double time, it's like a crazy song. And we did it a few times and you see in the comments section, like oh, you guys gotta play Padrino. But it's, it has this long guitar intro, like and this whole like Spanish guitar intro. 
And Sean, the guitar player, is like, just let me know if we're going to play Padrino because I need to practice it, you know, because he's like, I'll, I'll relearn it. And then we don't play it for six months. And I forget it again. I have to sit there. And, you know, it's, it's a hard one to, to pull off live. touring musician on the road making your way from the crappiest empty bars to mm. stadiums filled with 70,000 people. What do you think was your worst, most painful show? There's so many bad ones. I mean, dude, <laughs> being being in a band for 20 years in the 90s and, you know, having to, you know, we played, we played, you know, in, in Merced and El Centro, all these crazy towns in, 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 in California where, you know, we had guns pulled on us. That was probably the scariest one. We were in like El Centro and like playing some party, and some dude, some locals just pulled a gun. They're like, "We're gonna use your gear," and I'm like, "Okay." And we just like packed up our shit, and like ran. That was that was super sketchy. What were they pulling the gun? I don't on even you remember. For? It was like, I think it was like this super sketchy group of guys. Like, like, can we use your can we use your stuff? And yeah. we're like, "No, we gotta go." And like, no, like, no we're gonna use your stuff. And then like someone uh. talked to him, and then like we packed up our stuff and like ran, like got out there quick. Um, I've had a gun pulled on me. That was a, another time at a show in San Diego. Some one of someone who was like adjacent to our group was like made a joke like I'm getting I'm gonna get my gat or like he said something about a gat I don't know if he was kidding or something and the security guy this huge like Samoan like just like you know big dude just comes up with a gun he's like he's like who's got and he's like I, I open the, I open like the back door to, like leave and there's a gun in my face who said they're gonna get their gat I'm like not nah, wrong guy wrong guy wrong guy yeah. that's not a good feeling yeah um, someone got stabbed at one of our shows in Merced one time outside of our show. Oh no, we played the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco and someone got killed out front there too. That was another stabbing. Jeez. Um, so there's been a few of those and there's, and there's also been so many just like, you know, soul, I'm sure you've had those before too, the soul crushing shows where you you know, you drive, we used to play, remember that place Paladino's? That was, not Pal- um, what was it called? Pal- Palomino. Palomino? Okay. It closed in the 90s but it was a, it, back then it was a high profile. It was like, you know, we got to get it. It's on a Tuesday. You know, we got to drive yeah. up. So you pack up all your stuff and you go there and there's just literally nobody there. I mean, literally like the sound guy and the bartender. And you're like, I took a day off of work and I, you know, and sleeping on a floor. It's just that kind of stuff. Just it's obviously the stuff that that builds your character, but definitely makes you question your existence. When, you know, when you're doing that, the coconut teaser on a Wednesday and you're playing at 1235 a.m. And <laughs> the, the A&R guy was there at nine o'clock to see corn and then left two hours before you went on stage, you know. So I've had plenty of those uh, character building moments. Oh, man, our band in college in Michigan had, you know, some slot on this frat party festival it was like yeah it goes all night for two days <laughs> like you're on at 2 a.m it's gonna be great this right. is actually a really good slot for you we're like okay and we leave our instruments in the back like you know den where everyone's putting their instruments and and we just you know do other stuff and then come back and we come back for our set the house is literally dark 
<laughs> empty and all our instruments are gone. Oh my god. And I had a brand new I played bass at the time. I had a brand new Schecter bass. It was like gold pickups. Oh, Schecter bass. And I was like so heartbroken that I had heard that was right when eBay first came out. Yeah. Like 2006 or something. I was like, I hear you can like bid on stuff on eBay and like someone will sell you something for not that much. Right. So I just went on eBay and I didn't realize that if you bid on something and you win, you have to you pay have to for get, it. Yeah. And so I bid on like seven bases at the start, <laughs> <laughs> like at 2 a.m., like crying. I was right. like, ah. And I won like three bases. I was like, oh no. <laughs> did, you, did you buy them? I, I, luckily, one of them was like 50 bucks, one was like 200 bucks, one was like, you know. Right. And. <laughs> One of them, I still have. It's, it was an actually an awesome find. It was a a PV like sanded down fretless, you know, like solid wood. Like but you it, never got back your gear that was stolen. No, oh, long gone. And the other one I gave to Theo Katzman and Wolfpack when we were in college together. Theo, oh really? Yeah, we just, we just went to go see him uh, last couple weeks ago. Were you at that show? I wasn't. I wish I could have gone, but yeah, it's fine. I wonder if he still has that bass. He is. I got a good picture with him and Mike Viola. He was there too, who I love as well. That that uh, little crew we had in, in Ann Arbor was was fun. Oh, I didn't know you were you went to college with them. They tell you eventually you need to get a real job or like kind of st- you know be serious as an adult, especially yeah. when you're a dad. Yeah, which we both are now. Um, then you realize like, am I actually qualified to do anything else? <laughs> <laughs> Eternal question. I mean, how. How have you weathered the storm of, of obviously being in a much bigger outfit and having more time away? And I know, you know, you were going through something in your marriage. I mean, the the highs and lows of, of, of this are extreme, you yeah, know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough, man. It's, you know, it's a blessing. And it's, it's one of those things where I knew it would be hard, um, but the opportunity came up and I, I, yeah. had to, I had to go for it. And for, the, for it to happen to me at this age too, after I've been through so much, I just feel like it doesn't happen to, it, it, it doesn't happen in life, you know? So it's like this opportunity came along and I just had to go for it. And I have sacrificed a lot and the travel is hard. You know, you figure for every show you play, there's three travel days. So, I mean, it's being gone, you know, if you play 50 shows a year, you're gone half the year, you know? So you're not doing it in one month and being done with it. It's like just sprinkled out over six months. And right. then, you know, so it's like, you're constantly leaving and coming back. Um, it's hard, man. It's hard to maintain relationships. It's hard on the kids. Um, but there's also so many, you know, benefits. It, it, I mean, it, it does outweigh it. Um, you know, if it starts to suck, I won't do it anymore. I could always quit or, you know, die or get fired, but it's just, I had, I had to go for it and see what, otherwise I would be sitting here, you know, watching some other guy do this and being like, that could have been me. You know, you only live once. You kind of have to just embrace it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, like they say, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but they, they pay you for the travel, you know, and the, the, the show parts are fun, you know, usually. I mean, depending on what level band you're at, we've had a lot of bands. Have your shows, kids come out to any of the shows? Yeah, they came to a few. They came to San Diego. Um, we did this uh, Surf Girl Pro thing, um, which was amazing in Oceanside. And it was like, that's I, I lived there for years, so it's like a lot of my hometown friends showed up and the kids got to see me do that and then like get mobbed. It was like this crazy, talk about rock star moment. That was like... Uh, the way the Oceanside Pier is, there's like an amphitheater like on the wall, on the pier. So we play this, you know, this big crowd, and then to get back to our hotel, our green room, which is up the stairs, right behind the Top Gun house, actually, uh, that has the Top Gun motorcycle and stuff. You have to walk 
on the like beach boardwalk and then up this long stairs and across the street on PCH, whatever it is. And so I, and I was wearing this bright yellow Padres jersey. And so I, was, I should have changed my shirt, but everyone just, can I get a selfie? And I'm holding my kid's hands like, you know, on the board, like running. Like, it's like Hard Day's Night style. It was yeah. so crazy. That was almost scary, actually, for a minute. You could book your own festival, fantasy festival, five acts, dead or alive. Dead or alive, Jesus. Who uh, do you book first? Oh, my God. And where would it take place? Uh, in the summertime in Cape Cod on the beach. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Dead or alive? I don't know. I've seen pretty much everybody that's al- that's alive to see. I mean, I've seen every classic rock band pretty much out there, so there's nobody left on my bucket list. But, de- I mean, I've never seen Zeppelin, so, I mean, Zeppelin's definitely on there. I mean, obviously, obviously Beatles and Zeppelin, maybe, oh, maybe Pink Floyd. I've seen them a couple times, though. Queen. I've seen Queen with Adam Lambert. It was awesome. Yeah, but I'd like to see that. He's 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 great. Um, Flaming Lips. They never disappoint. Guar. <laughs> Still going strong. Still going strong. Another one that nobody cares if you replace all the members because <laughs> you can't see who they are. Uh, how's that for a lineup? Yeah. Zeppelin, Guar, Flaming Lips. Um, maybe Sex Pistols. Maybe Iggy Pop. I don't know, man. That's too hard. He was just at the Regent. I know. It was a Monday. It was just a, it was just a weird night. I almost went, but I just couldn't motivate to get down there. I've actually never seen him. He's one of the ones on my bucket list. I didn't go to the reunion tour of the Stooges because I'm like, oh, the Stooges, they're old. Now, all of a sudden, that was 20 years ago. And it was like, you know, I should have seen him then. Crazy. He's still going strong, though. Like, will Smash Mouth be touring in 2050? 2050? Uh, probably. I mean, I think the smart thing, like we discussed earlier, is to replace yourself. I mean, I think I think Kiss will 100% replace themselves and, and franchise their own band. I mean, why not, you know? Um... I think a band like maybe Aerosmith, it would be a lot harder because, you know, Steven Tyler is such a unique personality. But a band like Smash Mouth, uh, I think, you know, just the fact that that people don't seem to really have any issue with me being the new guy. um, I think there could be another new guy. Sure. Why not? Maybe my kid will do it. And (laughs) and I'll just like kick back and, you know, cash his checks. But there's no reason why they shouldn't be touring in 20 years from now. Sure. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Look, I have a feeling that if you put that song on pretty much anywhere on planet Earth, people would be able to sing along. I don't care what language they speak or understand. A hit is a hit is a hit. And uh, Smash Mouth has been that band for me where you forget about them every five or 10 years, and then all of a sudden, a song like Walking on the Sun or Then the Morning Comes uh, comes on the radio, and you're like, wait a second, that is a perfectly crafted pop song. We don't get to decide what the culture loves at the end of the day. And uh, do I wish that my band could have a hit like All-Star? Sure. But you know what? Sometimes you live in a different era where people discover you in many different ways. And uh, I'm trying to come to terms with the fact that, you know what? Maybe the music you write is just for a few hundred people, a few thousand people around the world, and it may fade out never to be heard again. Was the journey worth it? I think so. Anyway, if you want to see Smash Mouth in concert, 
they're playing all over the place, smashmouth.com. And uh, Zach sings on this new song of theirs. Uh, it's called Underground Sun, which we played a little bit in this episode. And if you haven't heard our first uh, part of this talk, go back and uh, check it out. We talk about all the hits and how they came to be and how he was introduced into the band. If you're curious what my group Dust Bowl Revival is up to, well, of course you are. Uh, we're heading to Denmark and England at the end of August and then playing in Rhode Island and in Northern California and in the Midwest and all sorts of places in the fall. Please check it out, dustbowlrevival.com. As always, The Show on the Road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupiton, and we are now a part of the Osiris Network. Do me a big favor and leave us a kind review on the Apple Podcasts page. If you have a second, it would help people find this podcast, and we have some really cool episodes coming up, so make sure you are subscribed. Stay safe, stay creative, and we'll see you on the trail. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.